If you will open up your Bibles to Genesis chapter 26. Last week we looked at the first six verses of this chapter. This morning we're going to look at the rest of the chapter and see the dynamic between the life of Abraham and the life of his son Isaac. It's somewhat of a longer passage, so I'm just going to jump straight in to reading it, um, and then we'll look at it together. Genesis 26, beginning in verse 1. It says, Now there was a famine in the land, besides the former famine that was in the days of Abraham. And Isaac went to Gerar, to Abimelech, king of the Philistines. And the Lord appeared to him and said, Do not go down to Egypt. Dwell in the land of which I shall tell you. Sojourn in this land, and I will be with you and will bless you. For to you and to your offspring I will give all these lands. And I will establish the oath that I swore to Abraham your father. I will multiply your offspring as the stars of heaven, and will give to your offspring all these lands. And in your offspring all the nations of the earth shall be blessed. Because Abraham obeyed my voice and kept my charge my commandments, my statutes, and my laws. So Isaac settled in Gerar. When the men of the place asked him about his wife, he said, she is my sister. For he feared to say, my wife, thinking, lest the men of the place should kill me because of Rebekah, because she was attractive in appearance. When he had been there a long time, Abimelech, king of the Philistines, looked out of a window and saw Isaac laughing with Rebekah, his wife. So Abimelech called Isaac and said, Behold, she is your wife. How then could you say she is my sister? Isaac said to him, Because I thought lest I die because of her. Abimelech said, What is this you have done to us? One of the people might easily have lain with your wife, and you would have brought guilt upon us. So Abimelech warned all the people, saying, Whoever touches this man or his wife shall surely be put to death. And Isaac sowed in that land and reaped in the same year a hundredfold. The Lord blessed him, and the man became rich and gained more and more until he became very wealthy. He had possessions of flocks and herds and many servants, so that the Philistines envied him. Now the Philistines had stopped and filled with earth all the wells that his father's servants had dug in the days of Abraham his father. And Abimelech said to Isaac, Go away from us, for you are much mightier than we. So Isaac departed from there and encamped in the valley of Gerar and settled there. And Isaac dug again the wells of water that had been dug in the days of Abraham his father, which the Philistines had stopped after the death of Abraham. And he gave them the names that his father had given them. But when Isaac's servants dug in the valley and found there a well of spring water, the herdsmen of Gerar quarreled with Isaac's herdsmen, saying, The water is ours. So he called the name of the well Asek because they contended with him. Then they dug another well, and they quarreled over that also, so he called its name Sitna. And he moved from there and dug another well, and they did not quarrel over it, so he called its name Rehoboth, saying, For now the Lord has made room for us, and we shall be fruitful in the land. From there he went up to Beersheba, 
And the Lord appeared to him the same night and said, I am the God of Abraham your father. Fear not, for I am with you and will bless you and multiply your offspring for my servant Abraham's sake. So he built an altar there and called upon the name of the Lord and pitched his tent there. And there Isaac's servants dug a well. When Abimelech went to him from Gerar with Ahuzeth, his advisor, and Fickle, the commander of his army, Isaac said to them, Why have you come to me, seeing that you hate me and have sent me away from you? They said, We see plainly that the Lord has been with you. So he said, Let there be a sworn pact between us, between you and us, and let us make a covenant with you, that you will do us no harm, just as we have not touched you and have done to you nothing but good, and have sent you away in peace." You are now the blessed of the Lord. So he made them a feast, and they ate and drank. In the morning they rose early and exchanged oaths, and Isaac sent them on their way, and they departed from him in peace. That same day Isaac's servants came and told him about the well that they had dug, and said to him, We have found water. He called it Sheba. Therefore the name of the city is Beersheba to this day. These are the words of the Lord. Well, in these verses, we see a clear connection between the life of Abraham and the life of Isaac, his son. As we were reading through the story, you may have noticed that Abraham, his name, comes up a lot. His name and even reference to Isaac's father is mentioned at least ten times in the chapter. Not only that, you may have noticed that many of the events in Isaac's life almost exactly mirror events in the life of Abraham. From receiving the promises to responding to God in faith, to lying to foreigners about his wife being his sister, to a dispute about wells, even to a pact with a king named Abimelech. Despite having died a few chapters earlier, the writer brings Abraham back into the story. What's the author trying to tell us here? Well, I think he's trying to show us that how Abraham lived, both in how he followed God in faith and in how he doubted God in certain circumstances, mattered not only in his own life, but in the life of his son as well. Earlier in Genesis, in chapter 18, verse 19, God actually tells Abraham that he has chosen him, that he may command his children and his household after him to keep the way of the Lord by doing righteousness and justice. Abraham was to teach his family how to follow the Lord, both in what he said and in what he did. Later in Scripture, through Moses, God gives his people Israel a similar charge in the book of Deuteronomy, chapter 4, verse 9. As they were about to enter into the promised land, he tells them, "...only take care and keep your soul diligently." lest you forget the things that your eyes have seen, and lest they depart from your heart all the days of your life. 
Make them known to your children and your children's children. Not only that, we see in the New Testament that Christians also ought to teach the next generation how to follow the Lord. We learned last week that it is because of Jesus' perfect obedience that we are now counted righteous before God. And that if you have placed your faith in Him, you have now been brought into the family of God and now share in all of His good promises. And as faithful followers of Him, Jesus now calls on all Christians, He calls on you and me, to now go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, of the Son, of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And not only that, God calls on fathers, specifically, to teach and train their children in the way of the Lord. Ephesians 6, 4 says, Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. So church, my prayer this morning is that we, like Abraham, as we look at his life, look at the life of his son Isaac, that we would teach the next generation how to follow the Lord and to walk in His good ways. So let's look through the story again and notice, again, these similarities between Isaac's life and Abraham's um, and see just what exactly it was that Isaac learned from his father. So in the first few verses, verses 1 to 6, what we read last week, we see Isaac being driven out of where he was living because of a famine. And notice the point the writer makes here. He says in verse 1, besides the former famine that was in the days of Abraham. We learn of this famine in Abraham's day all the way back in Genesis 12. We read there in verse 10, now there was a famine in the land, so Abram went down to Egypt to sojourn there, for the famine was severe in the land. So right from the get-go, the author is directing our attention to how Isaac's life is connected to his father's life. But unlike Abraham, who goes to Egypt during his famine, Isaac goes to the land of Gerar. Now, there's probably a good chance that Isaac may have been on his way to Egypt like his father, which might explain why God would tell Isaac in verse 2 not to go to Egypt, but to stay where he was. It is here in Gerar where God will be with him and will bless him. It's also here in Gerar that we see another connection to Abraham. We're told that the king of this land is a guy named Abimelech. If we were to look back to Genesis chapter 20, we would see that Abraham's journeys had actually brought him to this same land with a king also named Abimelech. Now, the time between these two events make it most likely that this is not the same king that Abraham encountered, but there's a, a good chance 
that this is either his son or another man who has taken the throne and is now using the same name. This would be like kings and queens who are now in England or even recent history in England that once they ascend the throne, uh, they take on a different name, a name like Edward or George or any of the other names that they take. Uh, this Abimelech in Isaac's day is using the same royal name as the king before him. So it's in a similar famine, in a similar place, with a similar king, that God comes to Isaac to give him the same promises as his father. Now, I won't go into all of these promises because we spent so much time on them last week, but notice again just how good these promises are. God promises Isaac to be with him and to bless him. Promises him many offspring. He promises him and his offspring all of these lands and that in his offspring all the nations of the earth shall be blessed. So after receiving these promises, after being told by God to stay in this land, what will Isaac do? Has Abraham prepared him for this? In verse 6, we see he has. It says, so Isaac settled in Gerar. Now this may seem like a small piece of information, only five words, but we must be sure not to jump over this. Because like Abraham before him, God called him to do something specific. In Abraham's case, it was to leave his father's homeland and to go where God would tell him. In obedience and faith, Abraham went. And now Isaac, after being called by God to stay here in this land, he stays. Like his father had taught him by his own actions, Isaac keeps the way of the Lord. But like his father, Isaac is not perfect. We see in the next episode as Isaac is settling in the land of Gerar, the men of the place ask him about Rebekah, his wife. And in response, Isaac tells them, she is my sister. He lies. Where do we see this exact thing happening before? With Abraham, right? In Genesis 12, after having to move to Egypt because of a famine, Abraham tells Sarah, his wife, in Genesis 12, verse 11, I know that you are a woman beautiful in appearance, and when the Egyptians see you, they will say, this is his wife. Then they will kill me, but they will let you live. Say you are my sister, that it may go well with me because of you, that my life may be spared for your sake. Then later, in Genesis 20, with the same story with Abimelech, Abraham tells him, she is my sister. In these situations, in these encounters, we see that Abraham was prone to doubt God's promises, fearing what man would do to him more than trusting in what God had promised to give him. Now we see his son Isaac 
doing the exact same thing. Because his wife was attractive in appearance, Isaac was afraid that the men of the land would kill him and take her from him. Right after hearing that God would be with him, that he would bless him, that he would even give him and his offspring all of these lands, Isaac still fears these men and lies to protect himself. And it turns out Isaac ultimately had no reason to be afraid. We learn that even after being there a long time, Rebecca's not really taken, nothing really happens to her, that unlike with Abraham and Sarah, where Sarah is actually taken, and it's not until the king of Imlech looks out of his window one day and sees Isaac laughing with Rebekah, his wife, that he realizes that they are actually married. They're not brother and sister, but husband and wife. Isaac had no reason to be afraid. No one was going to take Rebekah, and more than that, God was with him and was protecting him. I think in this episode, think in this dynamic between Abraham's life and Isaac's, we learn that we also must really watch how we live because other people are watching. There's a good chance that Isaac either saw his father make this mistake or had at least heard that it had happened. And when faced with a similar temptation, he also falls to it. Instead of trusting in the Lord and following his ways in the midst of this fear, Isaac cowers and lies to protect himself. And I don't know about you, but this terrifies me. When I think about my own life, it scares me to think that someone might follow in the same mistakes that I've made. Some of you may have experienced this in your own life, either as the Isaac or as the Abraham in the story. Maybe your mom or dad drank too much. Maybe you've also fallen to that same temptation in your life. Maybe you are very quick to become angry and frustrated and you haven't really thought about it much, but you're starting to see your own kids be quick to become angry and it scares you. I believe it's stories like this that give us a warning to constantly be on guard over how we live because you never really know who may be watching you. While this may lead to discouragement, I think the rest of the story gives us some hope. We see in the next few couple of paragraphs that Isaac is abundantly blessed by God, that he becomes very, very rich, so much so that the people of the land become envious of him and ask him to leave. So Isaac departs from there and goes to the valley of Gerar, only to be harassed by the herdsmen that are dwelling there. We learn that Isaac digs again the wells that Abraham had dug, which the Philistines had filled with earth, and he gives them the same names as Abraham. 
And as Isaac digs these wells, he finds water in them. But the herdsmen of Gerar quarrel with Isaac, saying that the wells actually belong to them. So Isaac moves from well to well, experiencing the same thing each time, until he eventually digs a well that no one quarrels with him over. I think it's here in verse 22 of chapter 26 that Isaac again, again shows faith in the Lord by naming the well Rehoboth, saying, for now the Lord has made room for us and we shall be fruitful in the land. After having to move from place to place to try to find a spot where these herdsmen would not fight with him over the wells, Isaac credits God with providing the land and the well. I think in many ways this points back to Abraham's experience, even with his nephew Lot, all the way back in Genesis 13. If you remember in that story, Abraham grows very rich with flocks and herds, just like Isaac, so much so that the land cannot support both him and Lot's herds. Quarrels break out among the herdsmen, and Abraham and Lot decide to split ways. And Abraham, instead of saying, all right, I get all of this land, and Lot, you can have this little bit over here, he graciously gives Lot first dibs. He says, you decide if you go right or left, and I will go the other way. Abraham, I believe here, had faith that God would provide the promises to him. He knew that all this land would one day be his or his descendants. So he didn't have to quarrel or fight with Lot over this land. In the same way, when these herdsmen of Gerar pick a fight with Isaac, he doesn't retaliate, but just moves on, trusting that God will provide the promises he's made to him. We see here that Isaac also learns this from his father. Then the next scene, we see God comes to Isaac again, telling him not to fear because he is with him and will bless him. He will surely bless him and give him the promises he promised to Abraham, his father. And what does Isaac do in response? Again, he responds in faith. He does what his father had done so many times before. He builds an altar and worships the Lord. We see Abraham do this first in Genesis 12 after first receiving the promises and again in Genesis 13 after being shown the land his offspring would inherit. Isaac has learned from his father how to worship God, how to build an altar and to call upon his name. And in the last few verses of this story, we see the king Abimelech come to Isaac with his advisor and his military commander to make a covenant of peace with him. This foreign king who had shoved him out of his land before 
now recognizes that God is with him and has greatly blessed him. And he wants to be sure that Isaac won't harm or mistreat him or his people. So he makes a pact with him. Isaac makes them a feast. They eat and drink. And then the next day, they depart in peace. I think Isaac here is fulfilling part of the promise that was made to Abraham that his offspring would be a blessing to all nations. God's blessing to Isaac spills over into the lives of this foreign king and his people. And they also experience, through Isaac, the blessing of the Lord. And again, this is something that Isaac learned from his father. We see in Genesis 21 that Abraham had also made a covenant with the prior king of Amalekh, that he would not mistreat him or his descendants. And while both Abraham and Isaac at one point bring guilt and sin upon this foreign nation, they turn out to be a source of blessing and security for this nation. Isaac, after lying about who his wife was, potentially bringing guilt upon Abimelech and his people, he is now blessing them and sending them away in peace. So we see in this chapter that Abraham and Isaac's lives are very similar. That many of the same experiences and temptations that Isaac faced were faced beforehand by his father. And like his father, Isaac doubted God's promises. He feared man more than trusting that God would do what he said he would do. But that wasn't the end for Isaac. We just see despite this failure, he continued to show faith in God, walking in the ways of his father, in the ways of the Lord. So what about your life? Who are you teaching to follow the ways of the Lord after you? Maybe you have kids and you're wondering what you should teach them. Teach them to follow the ways of the Lord. Teach them to trust in His promises, even if it means walking down an uncertain road. Teach them to learn from your own mistakes, putting up guards and barriers to the same temptations you faced. Teach them to be a blessing to others around them, to long to see the blessings of the gospel go to all nations. Teach them to love and cherish God's Word and to study it every day. Maybe you don't have kids. I ask you, who are you teaching? Who are you showing the ways of the Lord? Let me encourage you this morning to find someone here, even in this church, to mentor and to disciple. Show them what it means to trust in God when life gets hard. Show them what it looks like to say no to sin and yes to walking in God's ways. 
because people are watching. The younger people here in the church are watching. They're seeing how you live and learning what it means to follow the Lord, whether you notice it or not. My encouragement to you this morning is to be like Abraham. Teach the next generation the ways of the Lord. Because His ways are so good. Because His ways bring life. Let's ask God to help us with this. Let's pray together.